Today's scripture reading is James chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to move all this back so I don't run the risk of feedbacking. So that's good. But one of the things that I've certainly missed um, in all of the many months, now six months, I guess, almost exactly um, six months that we've been not together in the same way that we're used to are those milestones that we get to mark. You know, some of them are, are, are simple and some of them are more profound. You know, I think of the people I know in the congregation who have moved or they've bought a house and that's big news and exciting and things that we, you know, don't get to share or celebrate in or I guess we don't have to necessarily help people move then um, if we don't see them in person. But I also think of the, you know, no one yet has like, it hasn't been long enough that someone's gotten pregnant and then brought like a baby to bear with themselves. But there's been infants who are born who we haven't got to see. I think of Evangeline, and I think of Harlow, and Harlow, one week here at church, first week of life, you're getting her started right, so that is good, and I think of people who are expecting, and I'm not going to spill any beans, but I want to say that the Ducklows, Katie Ducklow, it's obvious um, right now, but I'm not spilling any beans for anyone else, because I have not been given permission to share, so I will not. But I'm not looking at anyone. But we have, you know, we have these kids. We have these kids who are coming. This is so exciting. And I miss, I miss, I miss, I miss these transitions so much and these milestones and celebrations that are a part of our community. And so we, we, we just have to persevere. 
And James is a good letter to read because he talks about the perseverance necessary for a Christian community. And it's, his, it's really his hard-won wisdom from years of leading a church, a Jerusalem church, which um, for the first century was a church that experienced incredible difficulty, persecution, and, and poverty. Um, and so James knew a thing or two about leading a Christian community in a time of strife. And, and those are just the external forces. But he also knew the internal forces that could wreck a community as well. And so, you know, as we think about his advice today, he talks about the power of language and the peril of language as well. And so, you know, for, for my kids this past week, it was uh, back to school time, or I guess uh, back to not going back to school time in the, in the Minneapolis, Minneapolis Public Schools. And the Berge Distance Learning Academy is off to a, a start. Um, I won't characterize that start. It has started. It has begun. Devices have been distributed and logged onto is about all we can say at this point. But, but when James talks about the power of language and he warns about the power of language, he does it within the context of first saying that not too many of us should be teachers because teachers have this, this power with their words. And when I think about the importance of, of, of teachers, I think we all think about those great teachers we had, right? Those women or those men who, who were able to connect with us in a way that brought out something in us that we didn't even know was possible. That they were able to not just teach us a subject, right? Because there's something about someone who's a master of their subject that, that can draw us in and make us interested. But they were able to, to connect that subject to us in a personal way. They weren't just to say, hey, you need this information, but, but they did something. They cultivated it and called something out in us that was so powerful, that shaped who we would become. Those teachers, those names that you think of, think of who those teachers were for you, who didn't just con con connect the material to you, but connected right to you to shape you into the person you became. I think of those names myself, Mr. Bourgeret and Mrs. Gear and Mr. Ferguson and Mr. Denisenko. And actually those last two, they were my um, junior high and, uh, and high school history teachers, respectively. And, 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 and they made me so interested in the subject that I actually, you know, I was in college and I had no idea what I wanted to major in. And I said, well, why not history? Because like you got to major in something. And, and, and those men cultivated in me a love of learning about the past. And so great teachers, they have this way with words and they have this wisdom with how they use them. And they connect with you. They can say just the right words to you. But on the flip side, and, and James is a little more focused on, on this, we also remember our least favorite teachers. I'm not going to name and shame them in the same way I picked out my favorite teachers this morning, but all of us can think of those names that pop up right away. People who were not great teachers. People who didn't call out the best in us, but people who made us feel stupid or people who made us feel small. Or, or people who made us feel insignificant. Or people who you felt like they were just phoning it in. They were just running out the clock until they could retire. Or, or they had no passion for their subject. They had no desire to connect with the students in front of them. And so James is talking about his experience as a teacher in this church. And, and, and he's talking about all, all, all the dangers that are inherent within Christian community. He, he talks about, you know, the trials and temptations that will be faced. He talks about the, 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 the tendency of the church to exalt those who are rich and important and powerful in the eyes of the world while ignoring people who seem small and insignificant. And he talks, too, about the danger of divorcing faith and action. But today he's talking about the potential danger of words. 
potential danger that comes when we teach poorly. And so as Christian teachers, you know, I take that to heart because my words have, have power. They have some influence at least and actions to either point people towards Christ or to drive them away. And it's important to keep in mind that in, in Greco-Roman culture and also in Jewish culture of that day, uh, teaching was this exalted role to, to have students, to have disciples. I mean, you were on this pedestal. You were revered. Your reputation was sacrosanct. Now, James is saying because the teachers need to be careful because words matter. Words have power and, and the abuse of that power can have terrible, terrible consequences. There's that old schoolyard saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know that that is like maybe the most dumb wrong saying that there is in the world, right? I would rather get hit by sticks and stones than be subject to abusive and destructive words because sticks and stones, they leave scars on your body. But words, they, they, they leave scars, they leave wounds on your soul and your heart that can take a lifetime to heal. And so this morning, we're going to look at what James has to say about the power of words, the, the power of words to direct, the power of words to destroy, the, the power of words to bless, and the power of words to curse. And so first is the power of words to direct. And James's illustration is simple. It's to the point. He says, consider the bit and the rudder. Well, these might be small. Well, words might be small. They have power to direct. They can do much more than sticks or stones could ever hope to do. He says, consider the horse. It's this incredibly powerful animal, much more powerful than a human being. But with just a small bit in its mouth, a horse can be controlled by a human being, smaller and weaker. Or he says, think about a ship, this massive vessel of wood that's filled with human beings and cargo. And, and there's the wind and, 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 and the currents drawing it every which way. But he says, with a tiny rudder, a navigator can set the course where it goes. And so James is saying, never underestimate the power of small things. Never underestimate the power of small things like words. Never underestimate the power of words to set the direction of your life or the direction of someone else's life. Words are so powerful. Small words are so powerful. Words like, I love you. Words like, I do words like I now pronounce you husband and wife, small words, powerful words that create new realities. But there's also powerful words that are harmful. We need to let you go. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. I'm ashamed of you. I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving you. Also powerful words. But there's yet still more powerful words. I I'm proud of you. I believe in you. Don't give up. I'm sorry. Right? All of those words are powerful. They, 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 they have the ability to influence people and to shape the direction that their lives will go. And those are sobering words as a, as a, as a spouse and as a parent and as a pastor, the influence, the power of these small words to shape the direction of the people in my lives. A reminder that my words matter, that I can't just go spouting off at the mouth that learning to control one's tongue means gaining greater control over your life. As a practical matter, when I do marriage prep, one of the things that I talk about is this, this practicing for couples in their communication, the rule of five. 
And that's just saying for every critical comment you make towards someone, you want to make five encouraging or positive comments to them. Because as human beings, it's a natural tendency to focus on the negative, on, on, to focus on when we hear a critical word. And so every positive statement that we make to someone, every encouraging word we make is like a deposit that we're making in our relational bank account. And every critical comment we make is withdrawing five times as much. And so it's just a reminder that the way that we use our words powerfully shapes our relationships and the nature of those. So the, the, the second power of words, though, that James highlights is their destructive power when he talks about it being like a, like a fire or like an untamed, poisonous animal. James compares the power of words to destroy to that of a spark that ignites a wildfire. And over the past couple of weeks, that's been in the news in this country, the entire west coast of the United States, it seems, are on fire. And, and one fire, which has burned over 10,000 acres, was started by what? A gender reveal party something that was just supposed to produce some blue smoke, ended up igniting thousands of acres of dry wilderness. And so a small, tiny thing that, 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 that starts and it seems insignificant can cause so much damage and destruction. And the thing about unkind or angry words is that it only takes a small spark to set that fire. We've probably seen that on some social media threads that maybe we followed. And these things burn and they get hotter and they spiral out of control. And these fires, something about them is they're not within our control. We think we can control them. We think that we can manage the damage. But once it's out there, it quickly grows beyond our power to do anything about it. And the destruction that happens because of these fires, it can take weeks, even months to heal and undo. And sometimes these words, it's like throwing out embers. And, and sometimes it sparks something right away. But a lot of times it just smolders. It smolders underneath the surface. It can take a long time to emerge. You know, on the power of, of, of words to spark fire that gets out of our control, I'm reminded of the saying by, by Charles Spurgeon, often attributed to Mark Twain, but it was actually said by Charles Spurgeon, that, you know, a lie gets halfway around the world while the truth is still pulling its boots on. And then there's that utter devastation that, that fires leave in their wake. What was once teeming with life, it becomes an ashen and charred wasteland that can take years to recover. That's the same destructive power that harmful worlds can have on relationships or on a community. And sometimes some things will never be the same. Or James says that words are, 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 can be like poison from an untamed wild animal. And it only takes a drop of poison to ruin anything. And it doesn't matter. Infamously, the, the comedian Michael Richards, who played Cosmo Kramer on Seinfeld, was, was caught once screaming racial epithets when he was doing a, a, a comedy set. It didn't matter that 99.9% .9 of his words that he'd used in the rest of his life weren't those. One drop of poison ruined everything. It didn't matter that Jeffrey Dahmer's diet was 99% not people, right? One drop of poison ruins everything. That's why we need to be so careful in how we choose and use our words. So there's the power of words to direct. There's the power of words to destroy. But lastly, there's this power of words to either bless or curse. To build up or to tear down. 
And, and James highlights this confounding reality for him that, 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 that human beings, the same human beings, the same mouths that, that praise God can also curse the human beings who are made in his image and his likeness. The same mouths that pray these beautiful prayers and sing these beautiful songs can utter the most foul profanities imaginable. And to James, this is like a spring producing fresh water and then salt water. We were a couple of weeks ago on vacation at the Delaware shore, and it had been a long time since our boys had been to the ocean. And one of those first experiences when little kids go into the ocean, they're used to swimming in lakes, is they go in the water and they get a mouthful of it. And they just come out because they have never had this awful substance in their mouth before, which is salt water. And they need to drink some fresh water right away. It's, it's very disconcerting to them. And I still remember that as a kid, that first mouthful of salt water and how it just made me want to retch. And that's what our words can be like. They can either be fresh water or they can be salt water. They can tear down or they can build up. They can drain us of life or they can fill us up. And when it comes to thinking about how we use our speech, how we use our language, uh, one of my favorite mnemonic devices that I have about thinking about what we say is actually this mnemonic from a guy named Nicky Gumbel, who he's the rector, the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And uh, he also founded the Alpha Course. And, and, and he has this mnemonic device called think. When you're going to say something, think. Is it true? That's the T. Is it helpful? Is it insightful? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if the answer is no, then we're like a saltwater spring. But if the answer is yes, that's fresh water to someone's life and to someone's situation. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it insightful? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Are we blessing or are we cursing? And I want to close ever too briefly with this contrast that James makes at the end of chapter three between this wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that comes from below. Two different kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from below is rooted in the ways of this world, its patterns of behavior and of speech, but wisdom that comes from above is wisdom that comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. Wisdom from below is like a fire that destroys, but wisdom from above is like a fire that purifies and enlightens and inspires like the fires of Pentecost. Just compare and contrast verses 16 and 17. Which kind of person do you want to be? Which kind of community do you want to be a part of? In verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. A community of ugly words will be one of ugly relationships and ugly and disordered patterns of relating to one another. But verse 17 says, But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So are you known for the first kind of speech or the second kind? Is the church known for the first kind or the second kind? And think about what kind of people or what kind of situations or what kind of times will bring out the first type of speech in you. And what kinds bring out the second type of speech in you? And pray that God would work in your heart to make those first situations turn into the second. And pray for the wisdom that comes from above. And pray that your words will sow blessing into this world and not cursing. And pray that in all you say, 
God will be glorified and Jesus will be magnified. And pray for the courage to say those most difficult words of all. I was wrong. I'm sorry. First to God and then to others. Words are, 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 are powerful things. Let us not waste them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.